Hey, Advisory Board Nation, I'm delighted to have Annette Tabor today on the podcast. Annette has a really interesting professional journey with technology products and then the IT industry's major association, CompTIA, where she actually created and managed member and project advisory boards, among many of her other responsibilities. Annette is an advisor, a strategist, a facilitator, and in her words, a galvanizer, and is helping companies now with her private advisory services practice. Ready to learn more? Here we go. Annette Tabor, welcome to the Advisory Board Insider Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Oh my gosh, Tom. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so looking forward to this. Yes, it's it's great to have you. So the first question is, where? what are your geographic coordinates today? Where are you located? Well, I am a native of Florida, and I am located between St. Petersburg and Clearwater in a little town called Seminole, right off the, the beach area. Nice, nice. So as as you're sitting there in a Seminole, Florida, what's your morning drink of choice? When you start the day, what's your your morning well, drink? Well, I'm going to do this. I have to I have to have my coffee. And okay, so so coffee, coffee but, with uh, with coconut milk creamer. Coconut milk creamer. Is there a special brand of coffee and I, coconut creamer? It's just uh, vanilla. I don't know stuff. I forget the name of it, but it's okay. It comes in a carton. And I just love it because it's got less sugar in it. And sugar, it. sugar is my downfall. Right. And I, I'm 100% on board with you there. And coffee, are you snobby about coffee or is it just drip coffee? It's do you have any? It's my Keurig. It's my Keurig coffee okay. and it's organic. So I do use the organic and it's deep roast. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the deep roast. Nice I and like dark. It, I like it hearty. Yeah. Got it. All right. <laughs> So before coffee, give me a sense of how you start your day. Like when's the alarm go off? Oh. What's, your, what's the morning look like before you have your first coffee? Well, I am an early riser. And okay. I usually get up between 5.30 and 6 a.m. every morning. I stumble out. I, the first thing I do is get my coffee and then I have to feed my cat. So okay. while the coffee's brewing... I'll start getting the two cats fed. And then after I get my cup of coffee, I go in and I start getting my face on while I'm listening to my podcast. Then oh. I come into my office and I'm usually in here by 7.30, roughly. And I just, I start my day. And then I work till about four o'clock. So I try not to work too late into the evening, which is a, it, which is a challenge for my colleagues and, and business partners on the West Coast like yourself. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So you, you've got your day unfolding, you got your coffee in hand, and, and do the cats join you with that? Like, are the cats generally with so you I'm in your office? I have to tell you a little story about my cats. I, I, got, I have two Balinese cats, and they're, oh. they're absolutely beautiful. The first one I got was a little lilac named, well, Jasmine, all white with a little bit of gray touches on her. And she's very prissy and very female and very feminine, I would say. She doesn't like to be petted a lot if you're a stranger. 
Then enter Jet, who is another Balinese, but he is a leap. And Jet is full of energy. And mm. that's why he's named Jet, J-E-T. And he doesn't understand that Jasmine is not prey. And so he continues <laughs> to attack her. So I'm in this process of trying to get the two of them to like each other. And they're getting better. They're getting better. But I have had some massive broken home furnishings mm. through the process. But we're getting better. So God, well, that's, well, that's so what I'm dealing with. Jet and Jasmine. That's right. Jet and Jasmine. All right. So thank you for giving us a little glimpse into your life, the cats, the coffee, early mornings. So let's let's go back into your own history. Let's go back actually to St. Petersburg College, if you're open to that, and into the fashion marketing program. Yeah. So tell me what's happening in your life back then. What are you thinking about? What's your future look like? What are you dreaming about? Why there? Why fashion oh, marketing? Funny. That is great. So when I was in high school, you know, I live here on the beaches. Clearwater Beach was like our big beach that we would go to as kids. And I was on the beach one day and this girl came up to me and asked me if I would model swimwear for her. And her name was Monica Wise. And she is now hugely successful in California with a company called L-Space Swimwear. So this is where it all began. So I decided... I started working for her, not only just modeling for her. I was actually working in the business. She was designing swimwear. So I decided I was going to go into the fashion industry and I wanted mm -hmm. to get my fashion merchandising degree, which I did. It was an associate's degree. And I thought, you know, maybe I would either continue working with her or start my own boutique, but I would love fashion. I just loved it. And, um, I did that for many years and I was a professional model for a period of time. And then I got to a point where it was like, look, I just really, I just really want to do something more. And there was a company, a little company called Tech Data Corporation here at Clearwater. And they had an open cattle call is what we would say for new salespeople. And I thought, you know what? I need to get some structure in my life. I want a career, not just a J-O-B. And so I, I applied for the job and I got a sales rep position at this company. And that was in 91, I think. And I was in this sales environment. And honestly, Tom, I mean, I was in a call center. And, you know, yeah. these calls were coming through and, and these were people buying technology and they were asking me for SCSI adapters. And I've had this catalog, like this thick, I'd have to let go. It was a book at that point. I remember that. I remember the tech data catalog. Yes. I remember seeing this. Oh yes. my gosh. Yeah. Here I am like trying to figure out, okay, a SCSI adapter, like, okay, like which one does it, you know? And, and they would be so particular and I, I hated it. I absolutely hated my job. So I, I left sales and I went, I took a demotion to get out of sales and I went into operations. And then from operations, I kind of moved my way up the food chain and became an executive. I ended up in multiple different jobs at Tech Data, both 
sales, product management, marketing, communities. I even ran the systems engineering department for a period of time. So I punched all the tickets. I learned yeah. a lot. I was there 15 years. Okay. So, so coming from a sales department into an operations department, and then you, you know, your LinkedIn profile shows like this massive amount of things that you did at Tech Data. As you're making those moves in the corporation, it looks like every couple of years you're making a move in that, that organization. You said 14 years there. What were some of the insights that you gained from the moves you were making? Because a lot of times you see people who spend seven, 10 years in the same job doing the same task, but you had this ability, it appeared to me, that you're making these jumps and moves and up the, like the ladder is something that is talked about in a corporate environment, but you seem to understand how to leverage that ladder. Well, I think probably it was more boredom. After I would be in a job for a period of time, I would get kind of bored with it and I okay. want more of a challenge. And so I'd always kind of look for the next thing, but I always wanted to make sure that I'm, I, I know this may, may or may not come across the right way, but I always looked for the right person to work for mm -hmm. because in corporate America, you can really harm yourself. If you, if you're working for someone that doesn't have the same value system that you have. And right. so there was that part of it as well. Got it. Okay. So as you got into those more senior roles, you then, I look at your resume and then at a certain point, 14 years later, you've, you stopped there and you moved to global convergence. And then a few years later, you moved to network dynamics. Tell me about what was happening through that period of time? And what were some of the lessons you were learning after you moved? Because once you're in a corporate environment for a while, you learn that, that way of thinking, that way of being in the world. But now you move to two other companies. Tell me a little bit about the move and what you learned through that, those moves and those particular career options that happened. So, well, when I left Tech Data, I decided that I wanted to try to work for a smaller company. Tip Data was a Fortune 100 yep. company at the time, and now they're right. like 56 billion as they merged yeah. with TD6. But I wanted to try to work for a smaller company. So I actually went to work for a company called Interlink Communication Systems, and they were basically a telecom agency. And I was there for a period of time. It was a very small family-owned business. And I'll be honest with you, I came in, it makes me laugh. I came in and made some major changes for them. Let me mm. just put it that way. And they loved it. The salespeople loved it. We were growing. We ended up getting acquired by Network Dynamics. And Network mm. Dynamics was a very large global MSC. They were a service provider. They did very little product, but at the time they were a Cisco Gold Partner. So you can imagine how much product they had to buy to get that uh, designation. But right. even product was very, very limited to them. They were a service company. And so I went out on the road and I learned how to sell services. And mm. I was pretty good at it. I mean, I, I landed a, a couple of pretty big clients. And then next thing you know, they rebranded as Global Convergence once they brought those two companies together. 
And it was about that time that I was asked to be on the board of directors at CompTIA. And so that's, I was still working at Global Convergence, but I was sitting on the board of directors for CompTIA. And at that point, we were investigating, bringing in the very first outside CEO to CompTIA and and replacing the founder, who was obviously, you know, brought all this to fruition with the certification business. So it was, it was bringing in a new, you know, CEO. And then after my two year stint on the board, I approached that CEO, Todd Thibodeau, who I just absolutely admire. And I said, I would love to come and work for the company. You know, he had made some radical changes. He really came in and really re re outfitted CompTIA for the future. And I was so excited. And so I asked him if I could come to work for him. And we decided initially because I had so many vendor contacts through tech data that I would help drive the vendor membership for the association. And so that's what I did for the first couple of years. Wow. So you moved out of the industry side of it into the association side of it, but CompTIA is a massive organization, as I understand it, and and really, really served to bring on new members in the vendor side of the equation. So really doing outreach to connect dots for for those part those kind of I, what are they called in CompTIA vendors or partners? Well, they're or? called vendors. So the vendors are going to yeah. be your Microsofts, your HPs, your Intel's. You know the vendor community, and then you have the solution provider community, which are the MSPs and the bars mm. and the systems integrators, and then you have the associate category, which would be your media companies, your consulting firms, your other trade associations, things like that. So they kind of bucket them into three categories. Got it. All right. So in that role, tell me about a little bit of the growth of that role. And then I, I notice on your your resume and, and LinkedIn profile, this connection now into council, advisory council members. So give me a sense of of the move towards that and what that all entailed? Well, there was a point where I was beginning to get bored again, you know, saying the same pitch and doing the same thing every day. And so I went to Todd and I said, hey, you know, I really think we should have industry advisory boards because, you know, I used to run advisory an advisory board for Tech Data when I ran their Tech Select community. And I loved it. I just loved Mm. it. And so I said to him, I said, you know, I really think we should develop industry advisory boards. And then, you know, we started out with those that were associated with our membership. We had a vendor advisory board, a distributor, and then a solution provider. So vendor, distributor, solution provider that made up the IT channel. So I had three different boards. And what I found is I'd go into one meeting and their vendors are talking about how, you know, the distribution isn't doing this. And then I'd go into the distribution meeting and they were upset with the solution providers not understanding that. And they were all pointing fingers at each other. So I said, Mm. you know what? This is ridiculous. I just put them all together on one board. And I said, we got to figure this out. We got to solve these problems. And the only way we can do it is if we are in the same room together and we are working together. So we created the, you know, it it was 
more of a kind of channel development advisory board. Mm. So it was, how do we help people enter the channel? How do they learn, especially if they're emerging technology company and they don't, and they're selling direct and they don't have a channel. Many of them have no idea what's involved in playing in the big, big leagues with some right. distributors and things like that. So we started that group. And then shortly thereafter, we added business applications, which was software. Software as a service. Then we went into Internet of Things. And then at that point, it was like, you know, Todd, we really might want to consider bringing emerging technologies into this realm because now we can expand CompTIA's reach and relevance into these new sectors of technology, Mm. even though our members themselves were not quite ready for things like AI and blockchain and drones and things like that. We felt it was important as the trade association to be, you know, forward thinking and helping to drive the adoption out of these emerging technologies into mainstream business. And so considering that most of our customers or members were, were servicing, you know, small, medium to enterprise businesses across the United States, it just made sense for us to start educating them on these technologies. Right. So, so part of, part of it, and then, then I'm going to go ask the question from a different perspective. So part of it was you were building these councils or advisory boards of sorts based on members in the various categories for the purpose of serving other members within other categories. That's how I'm hearing. Well, what's interesting is when I started to recruit the emerging tech companies, we didn't have them as members. Mm. So what I would do, and personally, I wasn't an expert in AI or blockchain enough to have, you know, deep, intelligent, technical conversations with these people. So what I did is I, I decided to start going to industry events where these people were, and I would go through the agenda. I would highlight the people I was interested in. I would look them up on LinkedIn. I would do all the research. I would go to their sessions and literally when they were done with their keynote, I would rush to stage. I would wait to speak to them in line because there was a bunch of people that wanted to talk to them. Yeah. I would then say, look, I just need 30 minutes. I would like to set up a call with you. I'm with CompTIA. We would like to have your expertise on an industry advisory board. It's volunteer, but we're going to give you a complimentary one-year membership just so you can see what we're all about, what we're doing. But the term is for two years. And if you stay the second year, then you'll have to pay for your membership. And I'd had literally 84% of those members line up for their second year and become members of CompTIA. So we Mm. recruited hundreds and hundreds of new vendors into CompTIA just through the advisory board program. But what's what's interesting there to me is not only were you recruiting people to be on the advisory boards, it's, it's a membership play as well to get them into membership 
And yet the value proposition is they were delivering value to the organization and to others, presumably. At the same time, they became members of right. the organization. So there was a lot of really, a lot of really cool bones to yeah, that one. Yeah, it was, it was a very strategic play. Yeah. And what my, my goal was, was to bring these subject matter experts in. And there were 20 of them on each council. So we had AI, blockchain, drones, IoT, cybersecurity business applications, telecom, and channel development. And over the course of time, and they were all running simultaneously, but over the course of time, you know, we needed to develop content to help help educate. So the idea was to get these subject matter experts and, and, you know, they're sitting together, they're kind of like, it's almost like a peer group because you've got like the, the, the young lady that was the, she developed the internet. She was part of the team at IBM that developed the international languages for IBM Watson. Here she was sitting across from the gentleman at Oracle, you know, and I mean, we had some big names on these boards. So these guys were loving the fact that they were engaging with each other on something that was outside of their personal realm. Now, giving goodness back to the industry and building educational content that would allow just general technology people to understand and adopt these technologies. So once we would develop a piece of content, we'd put the CompTIA brand on it, and then CompTIA's unbelievable marketing team would push that out to the industry. People Mm. would click on it. They'd have to give us their contact info. They would come back in. Now we're collecting thousands and thousands of names. So we didn't know where to put them because they weren't members. So we developed these virtual communities that we Mm. basically were, you know, kind of called technology interest groups. And then we keep them warm by pushing content and having my advisory board members speak to them doing podcasts and webinars and educating them and, you know, things like that. And so it just got bigger and bigger. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was the strategy work. I mean, it really worked. Yeah, that's fascinating. So let me jump then back behind the scenes, because I like sort of figuring out how you make this operate. So I got the, I got the gist of what you were doing in the world through CompTIA and your specific role in it. But then how are you putting, um, when you had these bo- these advisory boards, give me give me a sense of how they were working, how they were operating, how they were being led. What, what was the process? What was the actual nuts and bolts of what was happening once you had them in the room? Right. Well, I had to build everything from scratch because mm-hmm. there was no industry advisory board program at CompTIA in, in prior. So I had to build the bylaws. I had okay. to determine how I wanted to govern this to be governed. And I determined that after having one or two of these boards, and then next thing you know, there's three and four, and now there's five and six and seven, I wasn't able to manage them and and facilitate them all myself. So what I decided to do was have them become self-governed. So we Mm. had the members elect their own leadership. And we had two co-chairs and a vice chair. And the reason we had two co-chairs and a vice chair 
is because these are very busy executives at very, very large companies. And there were always conflict with a meeting or I can't be there or whatever. So we had to have that backup. So we had two co-chairs and a vice chair, and they were staggered terms. So once that mm. first co-chair stepped down after his term, the vice chair automatically moved up to co-chair with the other with the other Got co-chair, it. and then we would elect a new vice chair. So, and were they were these meeting people meeting quarterly? Were they meeting monthly? What was the structure we, of this? We had setup? well, I had twenty one what I called, you know, the executive, the the leaders of all the councils. So there were seven councils, there were three on each, there were 21 of these people that I meet with on a fairly regular basis, like once a month. And we would lay out, you know, what our goal was because they were all working on different projects. And then we would have meetings at least once a quarter. We had face-to-face meetings at CompTIA's Channel Con event, which was in the summer. And then we had the spring CCF event, which was the Communities and Councils Forum. Those were the two face-to-face meetings. But then I'd also have one-off face-to-face meetings mm. that were at some airport hotel, right? Because they right. wanted to get in and get out. And we would, it was no frills, you know, it's a conference room. And we would have them working on their projects. So we would mm. literally lay out an agenda that said, okay, we need to do this, you know, this matrix for determining whether blockchain makes sense for this company. We wanted to have, you know, if you say yes, then it goes this direction. If you say no, it goes this direction. So we would build these products and it was all different. And they would have to get it done. Like, you know how hard it is to get 20 people in a room to agree on anything? Well, and then they were taking it offline. They started working independently. And then next thing you know, I I thought we need to do something together. So we built, it was awesome. We actually had the IoT drone blockchain and AI councils come together and develop a video solving. And, and we wanted, it was called Tech Together. You can find it out there, but it was on solving a societal problem. And in this case, it was Mm. food contamination. And we developed this amazing video that used all the different technologies to to help prevent contamination from out in the field with the drones to the refrigerated trucks and the sensors to it was just unbelievable. So that's that's so interesting because, you know, we we think about boards as a as a way of advising each other. But what was re- what's really cool here, what you're talking about is you were using boards to actually create output, to create content that now has a residual value in the world. Right, and they were project-based boards, but yeah. you know, we, yeah. we, I do also do business-focused boards too, which I happen to have yeah. a, a new client right now that I'm working with. But yeah, it was it was probably the funnest job I've ever had. I, I have that's to really, say. yeah, that's really interesting. Well, you kind of hinted at it there, but recently you left CompTIA, as I understand it, and have started a new company. And um, but before we get into what you're doing, because I want to ask you about that, why the switch, and what were you seeing in the world that caused you to go? There's there's a place 
there's more opportunity for me to do this out in the world. There's more opportunity for me to to engage this kind of environment. So before we talk about what you're doing, what were you seeing? What was your unique insight, your perspective of the landscape, your radar showing you essentially? Well, I would say really I wanted more. I wanted mm. to have more. You get bored easily, I, I think. I do. And I, I wanted I wanted to have more <laughs> flexibility to yeah. to do things kind of the way I wanted to do them. Right. And, you know, I had spent 14 years at CompTIA with my time on the board and, you know, it was time, it was time to move on. And one thing I did notice too, is the industry is aging, you know, mm. a lot of people that were on my boards were very senior executives at their companies. A lot of them are retiring now, some of them looking for, you know, what's next. But they don't want to yeah. sign back up for that corporate environment. And that was honestly right. how I felt, too. Mm. Um, yep. So one thing that I want to do as part of my new business, uh, once we get into that conversation, is give back to all those people that gave so much mm. to the industry at right. no charge. I mean, like, they were volunteering their time. They were right. very, very busy people. and. I want to have a way to give back to them too. So part of what my new role is going to be with BoardSwap is to give them a venue to do that. God, really interesting. <clears throat> so so what, as as you think about where you're going, give, give me a, a, a sense of, you sort of touched on it there, but a sense of what you're trying to do with BoardSwap, your new company. What are What are some of the tools and, and approaches and services you plan on offering related to this new entity that you've you've built? Right. Well, first and foremost, as a certified chair through the Advisory Board Center, which I love that organization, and I know you do too, I love the structure. I love the mm -hmm. formality, and I wanted to take that knowledge that I learned and put it to practice with my previous background. And so I wanted to get more into business focused advisory boards. I have a business degree and I wanted to take all the experience that I had personally in my career, as well as all the knowledge I learned from all these amazing executives through the tech industry and build something that would be unique. And there are a lot of companies that do advisory boards, a lot of companies that do customer advisory boards and things like that in the tech industry. But I didn't see anyone doing the formalized advisory boards. Mm. And there's a big yep. difference there. So when I decided to build board swap, there were several key elements. I wanted to do formalized advisory boards for not only the business sector, but I wanted project-based. And I also wanted to do peer groups, which again are different. They're more of six to eight executives from non-competing companies that kind of come together and use each other as their own personal board directors. Right. And then I wanted to give back, as I mentioned, to all these people that I had worked with over the year. And I would say there's three to 400 of them out there that I've worked with. And so I wanted to create an advisor concierge service so that mm. when my customers came to me and said, hey, you know, we would like to create an advisory board. 
that I had a place to point them to, to say, well, here you can look for advisors if they fit the need for your board. So there was that part. And then there's the board swapping idea, which is the name of the company. And the board swap idea is that as businesses evolve, things change very rapidly. And when you create a board charter for your board, you have a specific thing in mind. So whether we're doing assessments in advance to figure out what that board charter needs to be, which is what we do, or they just have a a need that they don't need assessments and they just know, hey, we need to put this together because we have to solve this problem. You, You want to be able to bring structure and discipline that Mm. process and what i've found is so many people fail at advisory boards because they don't have that and you know in these big companies they'll have oh well the advisory board's sitting under the marketing department and then you know they start managing it and then you know they all have full-time jobs and then they they realize well so-and-so isn't showing up to meetings and this person stopped coming and You know, next thing you know, oh, yeah, we forgot to have our Q2 meeting. And it's like not even serious, you know. So by outsourcing your advisory board to a certified chair who has a very structured and disciplined approach to managing and facilitating these types of things, it just makes more sense because it's cheaper. It's got more focus. And the fact that it's independent allows the outside, you know, chair to really see the bigger picture of what's going on between the company and their advisors. And so I really wanted to enact that type of a program. And so that's, that's exactly what I've done. Got it. So you're, you're essentially bringing, bringing a number of approaches to bear using advisory boards, your, your history, your experience using and leveraging, obviously what you said with the advisory board center, some of the, the framework and the, and the process pieces from that to, to come at it from a number of different ways. It sounds like it's, it's not like you're taking one approach. It's not like you're taking the old CompTIA approach, only you're using that as history and and, you know, and perspective and insight, but you're doing a whole bunch of different things, which sounds really kind of interesting. Well, and, and what's so funny is, you know, you, you, you go through your training, you get your certification and you have this mentality of, okay, this is how the process works. And then yeah. you go out into the real world and you go to try to implement that and you okay. find that it doesn't work like that, right? right? Like right. you have to listen to the needs of your clients. And so I was fortunate enough before I launched to be introduced to a telecom carrier out on the West Coast. And I went in with this thought that I'm going to kind of try this methodology that I learned. And it was so funny because they were like, yeah, no, we already have 14 people on our advisory board and we really just want a customer advisory board. And we're not interested in having all those assessments done on our company because we already know we have a problem and we had a little breakdown in our service level and some of our customers were pretty upset about it because they had their name on it. And, you know, what we really like you to do with that is mm. really like you interview all five of our senior executives that run our 
ops department, sales and marketing, you know, product management, customer service, and tech support. We, we really want you to interview these executives. And then we want you to interview each of our board members. And we want you to facilitate a meeting in June that is going to help us solve the problem that we had last fall. And I'm wow. like, okay, let's do And so that's, that's what we're in the right. process of doing. So it's a completely different right. methodology. And, and part of what yes. we did is we actually and asked each of these executives to come up with questions for a survey. And now we're mm. presenting that survey to the board members so that before we even get to the meeting, I have enough information on what's going on in the dynamics and the people and to be able to facilitate this very interesting meeting that's going to happen in June as it relates to, you know, a crisis situation, basically. So, so interesting and so cool. So one thing that, that interests me always is what's the superpower that you bring? So like you've told your story and you've, you've told how you, how you're coming at things, how your new business is, is with the services you're planning on delivering. But what's intriguing to me and listening to you is you've got all these story parts and pieces that, um, make me believe that you have this, this really interesting superpower that a lot of times a superpower to me is something that you just do naturally and efficiently. And, and you, you don't think it's that hard, but everybody else around you goes, wow, that's amazing. So what, what superpower do you bring to like a facilitation, a sitting in a board, if you're a, an advisory board member, just being in the room, what's the thing that you're always thinking about that nobody else is thinking about? What's the perspective that you're taking a lot of the times? You know, I think as women, sometimes we, we want everybody to get along, you know, mm. when we're young and we're growing up, you know, we always want everybody to get along. You know, the girls mm. always kind of get together and they're always, you know, they're always sweet and friendly. And I think what it is, it's being a galvanizer, galvanizer mm. of people. You know, what do you mean by that? What's a galvanizer? What it means great is word. trying to make everyone feel part of something that we can all identify with, you know, mm. making sure that everyone feels comfortable, that, that there's proper expectations that are set, you know, that you motivate and energize people do what needs to be done. And mm. execute on what you say you're going to do. And by doing that, you know, you, people trust you, you know, when, yeah. when they start to see that when you say something and you do it, there's, there's a lot to be said for that, you know, and I think listening is so key. You know, I, I, I just was appointed to an advisory board for the University of South Florida and it regarding their digital marketing program. And I told the girl, I said, let me just say this right up front. I am not a digital marketing person. Okay. I actually need to hire somebody to build my website and do all this stuff for me. Cause I don't know this. I said, but I bring knowledge from business. It's just, that's exactly why we wanted you in that. We don't care about you. So I have to listen to learn. And mm -hmm. I would say I'm probably one of the people that speaks last. I like to hear what everyone else has to say and then develop my own thought. 
That's great. So a let's assume and because you're a you have this rich tech background. Let's say a tech CEO, a young tech CEO comes to you and says, I'm I'm interested in an advisory board. What's the first three pieces of advice you're gonna give them? They're they're interested in it, they're uncertain, they're kind of on the fence, but you've 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 got a chance to give them real clear, crisp advice. What what's the first few things you're gonna tell them? Well, I would probably tell them that we're gonna need to spend a little time together so that I could understand what's going on in their business because sometimes it doesn't make sense to have an advisory board. You know, like if they're having an issue with cash flow or something like that as many brand new startups do, that's not the time to go invest money in having an advisory board, right? So I would need to spend some time with them. I would need to understand what's going on. And then we would have to identify priority. You know, what is the priority, you know, because so many things are happening. And if you don't target in on something that you don't have clarity of scope, right? Right. And when you don't have clarity of scope and you start an advisory board, it goes all over the place and Mm. you don't accomplish anything. So you have to have clarity of scope and, and you have to have discipline. You have to have Mm. structure and discipline. And so I would say you know, spending time understanding what their needs are, identifying their priorities and developing clarity of scope are probably before you even have an advisory, before you even have an advisory board, those are the first three things that you really have to do to assess if it even makes sense. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and from there, and, and I think that leads back into maybe mistakes that people make that you've seen is is failure to do that upfront work, like you said. And this is, I I see it a lot in terms of advisory boards that are put together without that discipline that you're speaking of. And what what starts happening is um, they they put the people on the board before they understand where they're going. Is that that something you've seen as well? I mean, because once you determine what the scope is, then you have to assess the company's current executive team and say, you know, do we have the skill set needed to achieve this scope, right? And nine times out of 10, they don't, which is why they're in the situation you're in. So then you have to go find the right advisors that are fit for purpose to, to achieve that scope. And that's when it all kind of comes together. You know, I just feel like there are so many things that can go wrong when you don't do the homework up front. And right. part of that is ensuring that you've got the right people involved. And, you know, as a certified chair, you know, we try to distance ourselves from selection of advisory board members because it's their advisory board and they have to be the ones to select who the advisors are. You know, I don't have any problem helping to interview or provide a data point as to, you know, where, which direction they want to go. But ultimately the client has to decide who the advisors are. Right. That, that fit them, that feel like they, they work with them and, and there's a, a level of alignment. Yeah. That's really good. This has been really, really helpful. And I feel like it, it gives a lot of perspective on, on your role, what you're doing, how you think about it, your history. Uh, so much perspective. So I really appreciate you sharing all that. So 
you've told us a little bit about board swap. Is there anything more you want to say about board swap before we bring this conversation to a close? Anything more you're doing? Anything you more you want to say about uh, how you can help people? Just, just this is your chance. Yes. So I would just say you really want to move your organization forward and you really want yeah. to prepare for the future. Advisory boards, in my opinion, provide so much insight and guidance. And if you do go forward with an advisory board, it's critical that you engage with organizations that know what they're doing and that can assist you throughout the process. So check us out at boardswap.com. Give us a call. Let's just, you know, we can set up a call just to have an exploratory discussion. You know, we don't have to move forward. Let, let's right. just talk about it and see if it makes sense, you know? Wonderful. I always like to end our conversation with some sort of rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little bit more. Because, you know, anytime we work together with people, it's always fun oh, to absolutely. know, you know, where where you live in the world, what coffee you drink and what your morning looks like. But these are just some rapid fire questions. So I'm going to throw okay. them at you quickly and you just answer at will. Mac or PC? PC. Is there a reason for that? I haven't learned anything else. Got it. Best book you've read in the last six months? I'm not reading anything right now. I have I have several books on my Kindle, but I'm not reading anything right now. I'm more into podcasts right now. Okay, so best podcast you're listening to right now. What's the best? Besides this one, of yes, course. But... Yes, yes, yes. No, well, it's probably better I don't go there because it's political. Well, Oh, dear. Okay, well, stay out of that one then. Favorite web or phone app that gives you the best ROI right now? Like, is there a phone app or a web app that you use that just gives you incredibly good ROI? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I love Calendly. I love yep. being able to shoot somebody a link and have them book with me when it's, it's going back and forth all the time was a nightmare. I love that app. Also, you know, I love I use that enormously. And, you know, personally, I love apps that make my life easier. So like my pool is all on my phone, you know, my, I have all these apps that run all my, my right. IT and my app. The, sort of the internet of things exactly, kind of Exactly, exactly. Right. Okay. Okay. What was the first question you asked ChatGPT? Do you remember? I have not asked ChatGPT anything. However. I'm a, yes. a colleague of mine who has a, a torn meniscus. And I asked her, I said, what the heck is that? And she goes, well, I asked the chat GPT and this is what it said. And she sent me the text of what it was. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. It was like a normal mm -hmm. layman's term, you know? Yes, I know. If you could have coffee with a famous historical figure who's no longer alive, who would it be? Mm -hmm. Andrew Jackson. Why Andrew Jackson? Because I feel he really galvanized the American people to overcome adversity in his career. Wow, that's really cool. And then how would your closest family members describe what it is you do? Well, I have two boys, 26 and 29. 
And they would probably just say, she's on the phone all the time. I know she's in technology, but I don't know that I really understand exactly what she does, but she talks to a lot of different people all day. And that would probably be about all they know. Right, right. Oh, that's, that's delightful. Annette, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. I am wishing you a great success because I know you have the chops to do really cool things with other companies. You've you've had a great experience in life and and I, I wish you well in your new board swap role, your new board swap company and all the cool things that are going to ha- come from that role. And I really appreciate you being here and uh, look forward to seeing all the cool things that will happen going forward. Well, thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed the time with you.